0: Welcome to This Justin, the show bringing you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy. And now, for the fastest voice in healthcare, here's your host, Justin
1: Barnes. Welcome to the special episode of This Justin Radio. We're broadcasting live from the VIVE 2023 conference in Nashville. I want to thank Chime and DHI for inviting us to their theater. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. We have a terrific leadership roundup show this morning with Chime. The focus is always on the CIO and CSIO. So I brought together a great group of friends and Chime members to join us today. I look forward to all of them helping us wrap up VIVE 2023 with just what some of the priorities are for the CIOs and also hopefully some of the conference highlights along the way. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Yes. Roxy Mooney.
0: Thank you for having me again.
1: Love it. Got to catch up with you yesterday, so I know there's a lot of great things happening. Um, digital health advisor and also a best-selling author. First, how's vibe been for you?
0: Fantastic. So I was there uh, at the kickoff in Miami last year. So it's great to be here again. It's great to see more people here. So it's, you know, growing and diversifying. I'm usually here for more networking and meetings. So it's like speed dating for me the last couple of days. Um, It's been great.
1: Yeah, actually, I met you uh, last year, I guess this time when you're coming off of Miami Beach, you and our good friend, um, Mike Mosquito. So I um, actually had a great time there, and I know Vive last year was phenomenal, so I had to join it this year. Yeah. Tell me about some of the trends that you're seeing out there, healthcare, health IT, digital health, what are you seeing?
0: There's so much, right? There's just an explosion of innovation and new trends taking place. Uh, just a couple that come to mind is virtual care. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing a lot of hybrid, uh, virtual and on-site, also virtual first and virtual only. There you go. And the virtual-only care, I think, is broadening. You're seeing more global companies, more companies from outside of the United States entering into the U.S. market with their virtual-only models. And um, we're seeing a lot of uh, growth there. I also think personalized care, right, mm-hmm. AI, ML, driving a lot of personalization in care, precision medicine. The other one is uh, retail healthcare. care which is, you know, really going to be disrupting things, right, with new players like um, CVS and Amazon and Walmart providing primary care and kind of changing how we think about where we're getting care from and how we're getting care. And I think consumerization is definitely being peppered into that. So we're getting better experiences for patients. And then also, um, you know, all of that obviously is to drive increased better outcomes.
1: Yep. Excellent. Excellent point. So, You know, my show loves to focus on best practices, key strategies. So what are some of the, uh, you know, what are two or three that you've seen out there, maybe here, you've been working on over the past year, you know, different innovations, workflows, work groups, what would you share with my audience?
0: Yeah. So uh, many years ago, I decided to embark on getting my doctorate degree, and I was um, came across this statistic that ninety five percent of innovations that are brought to market fail. Yes. And I was just blown away because I thought, how in the hell are we going to transform healthcare if most of these innovations aren't going to get into the hands of the people that need them the most? And so, you know, after reading hundreds and hundreds of peer review journals on every aspect of commercialization, really there are a handful of strategies that started to percolate that were really key for success so one of them is uh, building out an early adoption strategy so most often when we are thinking about our commercial strategy or our go-to-market strategy we have one kind of a one size fits all. And so, you know, a strategy or best practice for success is really rethinking that using the diffusion of innovation model that's been around since the 1950s and building our strategy based upon that and kind of um, tailoring our messaging, our product configuration, our sales and marketing all around early adopters first and making sure that we're penetrating that segment of the market and then shifting and building another go-to-market strategy that's tailored more to the mainstream market because messaging your product, your sales, your marketing is all going to be very different. And I think that that is a key a fundamental um, to commercial success. The other one that comes to mind is co-creation. So I know we do a lot with human-centered design um, and design thinking. But when I think about co-creation, I think of it as something that's not only critical that we are involving patients and key stakeholders in the creation of those products and solutions, but also everyone in the ecosystem, one of the things that we sh- really struggle with right now is there's no shortage of innovation, right? right? I mean, That's it's true. coming out of our ears. Um, but what we are really have a gap in still is adoption. And there's a lot of, e- even when, um, you know, people are being, their innovations are being added to a network or hospital systems are a- agreeing to purchase your solution, still being able to drive adoption utilization is a big struggle for us. There's a lot of different variables at play. So if we're co-creating those solutions with all of those key stakeholders, we are essentially applying change management throughout the entire process. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to we're gonna see much greater adoption.
1: Love it. So let's talk about something really controversial. We caught up yesterday uh-huh. and that we both agreed, um, we don't have to name names, but okay. we also agreed that we have a lot of great innovation. I totally agree that 95% don't make it to market. Most 95% of companies fail for a lot of various reasons you yep. and I discussed in the past, mm-hmm. How do you go about helping these health systems providers, even patients that matter, navigate innovation, embrace w- the best innovation that's integrates into their their total workflow? Because we know it can't be it can't be just one piece and, and then in a, in a little you know components. But we need to make sure that we're adopting the very very best innovation for our care, for our care strategy, part of our care continuum, but also. Not staying too complacent just because of the old bad best practices, <laughs> I guess I was say. I'm trying to be nice. And,
0: yes, absolutely. Um, so there's definitely, and I think the Vive conference is, is kind of reflective know. of that, where, you know, at the conference, we're seeing this merge or integration between kind of old mindsets and legacy systems with new and fresh and innovative thinking. And so we've got to figure out how are we going to work together because there's value to both camps, right? Um, We, we really need to have an understanding of how everything is really structured and the complexities of interoperability and the complexities of a multi-sided market. But we cannot let that hold us back. And, you know, you see, I think there's several booths that talk about liberating the data, right? Right. (laughs) We cannot allow, um, that to take place and not, uh, leverage the innovations that are really in the market. There's so much innovation that is really struggling to actually provide value and real benefit today because being blocked by a lot of legacy players in the marketplace
1: yeah we don't want to stifle innovation this you're right absolutely right this show has done a phenomenal job vive and health in general and even chime has done a phenomenal job harnessing innovation highlighting it And as my very first guest, Dr. Dan DeGrin brought up leveling the playing field so we don't have 80 by 80, 100 by 100, 120 foot by 120 foot booths drowning out the, the 10 foot booths when the 10 foot booth might have far superior innovation that can be integrated into care strategy that can make a big difference in your community. So we get to highlight it all here at
0: Vive. Absolutely. And I think that it's critical because if we don't start playing better together,
1: That's right.
0: those non-native healthcare companies are going to come in and teach us a lesson own us. Own us. Got <laughs> it? own us, right? right? I mean, Walmart is on the path to launch 4,000 primary care clinics in the next few years.
1: Yeah. yeah. Wow. 4,000. It'll be
0: the largest primary care provider in the country, Walmart.
1: Yep. Wow.
0: Think about the influence. Think about the understanding of consumer engagement. Just game changer.
1: And also, we've got about two minutes left, but um, I'll have you back on air because the other topic we had on, we had, we discussed yesterday was about the um, the younger generation and how they're engaging healthcare and they're engaging healthcare on their devices, which is not integrated into an overall ecosystem that we thought we were all building this phenomenal ecosystem. Back to your last point, in the last 90 seconds, not to put any more pressure on you, what is a key strategy or trend that we need to look out for uh, and navigate in three to five years from now?
0: Well, God, I hope this one happens way before three years, but I'm going to say longevity. So there are a number of different players that are working in a different sector in healthcare around prevention, around proactive care. It's also personalized, um, but it is longevity. So one of the things that I always have found fascinating is um, our whole lives, we spend a lot of time building financial wealth. Right. Most of us are really, we have a financial planner right. and we are building all of this wealth, right? Look at your 401ks. Look at all of your investment portfolios. It's going
1: to hit lately though.
0: <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> no doubt about it, but we are not building a longevity plan right. for our future. So, so many leaders that I've worked with over the years have built incredible legacies, have incredible worth. They've sold many companies. And then they retire or they don't retire, and they get diagnosed with a brain cancer, and they die in five months. So, And so we have to build longevity plans if we want to be able to enjoy the fruits of our labor.
1: Fantastic. Dr. Roxy Mooney, thank you for joining Best Selling Author. We'll have you back. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate Take it. Take care. Another doctor, Dr. Justin Norton, partner GSR Ventures. Welcome to the show, my friend.
2: Thank you, Justin. It's good to have you back. First.
1: So first of all, how's the show been for you, my friend?
2: Vive has been fantastic. Uh, I have to confess, I missed, missed last year, so did I. Um, but it's it's really been wonderful. Uh, being able to be in one space together, bump into everyone that, that we already know here, and, yep. and everyone made it out. Yep. Uh, Nashville is not a place I've come to a ton from right. living in the Bay Area, but it's been
1: absolutely wonderful. Yeah, so I, I love the show so far. 7,600, 7,700. I'll get the final count here. Yeah. I mean, the energy has been phenomenal. Um, what have you seen for cool innovations around here?
2: So, so the thing I'm keeping my eye out for and really starting to see is things really integrating AI. Yep. So that, that's my background, my personal interest. You know, while I'm a physician by training, uh, I ended up actually leading an AI company, uh, before, before finding my role now at GSR Ventures, where we focus on early stage health technology. And with everything, you know, happening now as we kind of look at the broader technology ecosystem from where I sit at the heart of Silicon yep. Valley, AI and these new technologies are really going to change everything. And so that's what I've been keeping my eye out for at the conference. And we're starting to see it. We're seeing companies use computer vision, looking at fall detection, other things like that, IoT in the hospital. We're starting to see it on the analytics side. You know, what can we really predict? What can we, you know, uh, get ahead of the curve in terms of what's happening for a patient in de- decompensating and other things like that? Um, and I think, you know, in general, you know, technology, you know, we're, we're a little bit, Laggards, I would say, from a health system perspective, right, and for and for many many right, good right. reasons. Yes, um, but these things are some of the most powerful, exciting. Innovations, I think we've really seen in decades. I think we're at the beginning of a moment in history in terms of what AI is capable of. What's happening now with you know all the announcements over the past few months, and so that's really what I'm keeping my eye out for uh, in healthcare and where is the right way to deploy this technology? How can we do so safely? Um, and how can we do so you know really benefiting you know everyone involved in the healthcare ecosystem? And so it's been it's been fun to see
1: the early early days of that. Yeah, sure. I think it balances a little bit what you've seen here, but um, with some of the trends. But I guess when you look at, uh, you know, I know when we caught up yesterday, natural language processing and how that's evolving with ChatGPT and, and four, and talk a little bit about that. What you've, yeah, your so researches. so
2: this is this is an area. And so after I'm teaching a course at Stanford on generative AI and medicine. The the first one uh, we've had at the medical school now. It's starting in about ten days, and you know. Roll back six months ago when we were talking about the course. It's, oh, these things are happening. We've had foundation models, transformers for a few years now. But, you know, really since November when ChatGPT was launched, the whole world started to pay attention. Wow. Look at how these things are doing. And people started applying it in so many different ways. So let's roll back to November. ChatGPT was launched. GPT 3.5 was the version underlying that. And people tested it. You know, what, how does it do on step two, the final exam of, you know, medical school training? Turns out it was able to get around, you know, 59% just passing second percentile. Hey, that's interesting, but hey, hey, hey it's not, not nearly as good as doctors or anything like that. Fast forward just a few months. Uh-huh. GPT4 released a few weeks ago. Uh, we tested it. We tested it with our team at Stanford first, and then actually Microsoft released their own version, doing it in a more formal way. It jumped from you know second percentile, you know 59% correct, to 89% correct, 95th percentile, oh, wow. bottom to the top of the class in just the span of a few months. Already... These technologies are incredible. As you start playing with them from an aspect of you know coding and helping with computer science, understanding you know patients are starting to use this today. You know, obviously, this isn't what it was intended to interpret their own labs before their doctor got back to them, interpret their own you know imaging results while instead of waiting for the doctor to call. These things are out in the wild today and are doing incredible things. Um, and so, just that pace of innovation, even if you froze it, forget right. GPT five, forget these next models coming out already what's possible today is transformative and we really have to catch up I think as a field of medicine to say what is the right way to use these things what is the regulation that should come around these models right. when is it a device should it should it qualify you know what is the FDA's and others role in terms of these things but I think the power is transformative and that's what excites me so much because you know historically we've thrown bodies at the problem in healthcare right. we've hired more we've tried to put put more people around it and we really need to use technology. To, to help unburden our providers, right? That is like the number one issue across every health system in the country.
1: Right of that first thing, yes. We need
2: more providers, people are burnt out. Um, and so I, I really think these technologies can offload a lot of that burden. I don't think they're going to re- replace any providers. Clinical care is a, is a totally different beast. Empathy, connection, technology has nothing to do with that. But can we offload some of that other administrative
1: burden? I, I really think we can. Fantastic, Justin. So what's going to be significantly disrupted, do you think, with ChatGBT? thinking, oh my gosh, this is a massive disruptor. This has come out of nowhere. What innovation? What <laughs> innovation? Coming out of nowhere, how patients even seek and
2: start to interact with the healthcare system. You know, For years, we've had Dr. Google, right? You know, you're coming in to see me in my clinic. You're already looking up what you have, what you think it is, what you think you want. That has already shifted overnight. Now we have chat GPT, mm-hmm. patients coming in with their own doctor. And for the most part, it's a lot better, or it's giving a much more compelling, detailed answer, even if it might be wrong. And so- Immediately this is happening now and we need to be ready for this for this as medicine.
1: Wow. Fantastic. So what do you see as a key strategy or trend that we must be ready to successfully navigate in three to five years from now? I'm gonna sound like a broken record, but it, it is really this. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: I think the systems that are looking to see how these tools are gonna impact themselves, looking to see how they can, you know, aid their providers specifically as a focus those systems are going to start to kind of uh, leapfrog and then lead the way for for those who aren't, Um, especially when this is a multi-year process. You can't start in three years saying, oh my gosh, now we need an AI strategy. What are we going to do? You're going to be behind the ball. So I really think it's today starting to say, what are the tools and things that are coming out? What are the pressing issues? What can we do safely? What can we start to do first? And then how does that build over time, but but this really is the key trend. You know, you can call me out. You know, in a year, if I if I'm wrong, uh, and say no, 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 yeah, Justin, you're completely wrong. AI, none of these tools did anything. No,
1: I see but, the but evolution. That,
2: that, that's where my bet is, and that's where nearly all of my attention is today.
1: So, final question: Looking out over uh, the remaining part of 2023, what do you see as maybe outside of maybe ChatGPT uh, innovation or a sector that you said? we're going to go after that. We want to go, we see that as a burgeoning area, so much opportunity there. What would you, what sector is that? One of the sectors, so we actually did a a survey of other, you know, the largest survey of digital
2: health uh, venture capitalists. We did this last year. We published it in November. And I think the one area that, I think, as well as uh, my my fellow peers, that is right for innovation is the area of oncology. There is so much need um, in terms of what can be done in the oncology and kind of transforming and updating the patient experience. Um, You know, this is one of the toughest moments in life when someone gets a a diagnosis, and we need to do better supporting those patients uh, along that journey. Everything from, you know, the initial kind of interpretation of what's happening to, you know, when someone's going through chemo, how can we be closer to that patient? How can we intervene earlier, prevent that ED visit, um, and really create kind of a far, far better experience overall. And so I think oncology, for, for good reason, yeah. isn't the first place where health technology went, right. but it really is a place for, for innovation going forward.
1: Okay. And now looking out over um, even the rest of, uh, you know, some of your, I guess, sectors, um, i put you on the spot. You like lab space at all? Good innovations happening there. We actually, actually, they brought, they brought it up. Uh, my two of my guests brought it up the lab, basically lab interoperability yesterday, and so that's my very first guest um, brought that up, and I was Didi Davis from um, uh, Sequoia Project, and I was just, you know, that was our first key point of how the integration in, with labs and, and how it's expanding. So I was very excited about that. But what are your thoughts about the lab space?
2: The, so especially, we're, we're
1: going to combine it with a few things. Mm-hmm. When you think about kind of
2: more virtual care, when you think about trends towards consumer, people kind of getting care where they want, when you think about what these AI tools are going to do in terms of kind of offloading or taking that early triage for patients, all of this still involves labs, Mm -hmm. right? Labs have only grown in importance as we have more labs we're able to do, next generation sequencing, specialty labs, et cetera. And it's, you know, underlies so much of clinical decision making. And so we need easier ways to get labs, making labs more interoperable, making it easier to order, make it easier to order, you know, custom specialized labs. And so this is really going to be the backbone for everything we do kind of uh, across healthcare going forward. And so companies able to go in, make this process easier, update antiquated process, make make things completely interoperable, make things you know seamless across the consumer experience to the provider experience. Uh, this is really going to be a key infrastructure for really how we unlock the next
1: part of healthcare. So we're really excited to see what companies innovate in the lab space. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, and, and it was 70% the CDC, that famous CDC stat where 70% of our medical record is made up of Lab results um, and eighty percent of the actual file is lab tests. Literally. Now, my, my other friends, Mark, made a joke that's it's because it's all paper and it make, you know it takes a lot to print it all off. But anyhow, no, very exciting. Justin Norton, thank you so much for joining us today, partner GSR Ventures. Justin, thank you, my friend. Welcome back me. to the show. Thank you, Teresa Bell, co-founder, president, and CTO of No Two. Yes, love it. You got the name right. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Justin. So, first of all, how's the conference been for you?
3: Yeah, it's been fantastic. I. Spent some time walking through yesterday and I took a minute and I said, You know, I, what I'm feeling right now is gratitude. Uh, we've spent the last few years in, you know, yes, confinement and yeah. everything else, and our ability to just to be back together as, as a group is great. And took that time just to say, You know, this is important, these types of things are really important. So, they are, I'm glad to be here.
1: Yeah. How long would you get back in? When'd you get in town? Sunday night, and where'd you come from? Boise. Excellent. Yeah, no, this is, I think it's my third or fourth conference since the pandemic, but I mean, every time it, I mean, it gets better, you see more and more people, we, you know, we're coming together, we collaborate at a much quicker velocity Yeah, and you learn a lot more. So a very exciting, completely. And the world's season.
3: tough. So it's, it's good to have times together. <laughs>
1: it is tough. You're right. I totally agree. So No2 was announced as one of the six qualified QHINs. Yep. Um, why is a QHIN important and in, uh, in who'll be serving on that network?
3: So when we when we started the company, I thought about that question. When we started the company uh, now 12 years ago, uh, we had two kind of commitments to the industry is one, you looked at all the noise at that time, that interoperability had around it, and it's gotten even worse uh, today, is that we would simplify that. And we would go through and connect everywhere in healthcare uh, and simplify that that process. And every time healthcare starts a new initiative, uh, we'd be in front of it and listen to it. Is it, is it gonna be real? Um, and with QHIN, it became apparent to us, we've been in front of it for a long time yes. and had our ear to the ground that it was going to be very important. And this time it feels, you know, significantly different. And we chose that as part of our commitment to our customers and our partners, which I'll touch on who those are, uh, we knew that we had to be in front of it and, and expand the offering to include QHIN connectivity services. Um, we've, As a company, again, when we started the company, one of the, the – primary tenants of the company is that we would go to the overlooked parts of the market to have true interoperability and true connectivity which is what we're focused to you had to be serving all four corners I always say to our team is all four corners of healthcare, and that includes uh, bringing to the you know we always talk about the physical therapist that sits in the strip mall they deserve healthcare connectivity just like the largest health system does in the United States they're caring for patients just like everyone else and you had to make sure that we're we were bringing a model, not only technically, but economically, that could serve those markets um, and bring them forward. So that's a commitment we made. It's obvious that QHIN, uh, this time it's different, yeah. and we're, we've future-proofed our platform by becoming a QHIN. Uh, it's been a hard work effort thus far, but we're going to stay, you know, stay to the track. It's very important.
1: So I'm pretty sure I've worked with your company. You guys also work with, a, you engage companies and help them with security training and so forth, correct? We do not. do not? Okay. We do not. <laughs> Kind of come we've actually I've worked with your organization. Not that I know right? of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: Maybe we do. <laughs> so time
1: about TEFCA and um, why is TEFCA going to be a great solution for interoperability in our industry?
3: Well, if you look at the, if, I think if you ask every person on this floor and what interoperability was and the problems with interoperability, <laughs> you get a different answer literally every time. The, I call it healthcare a bandwagon industry. We've seen it over and over again that the next interoperability initiative or the next connectivity initiative was going to take care of, uh, issues that we've been long hoping for, and, and none of them have, right? right? They've all been additive to the problem, uh, including fire, which is now a 10-year-old uh, protocol, but it, it, they're all part of the collective equation. So QHIN solves the fundamental problem that we've needed to solve for years, and that's connectivity uh, and getting the information to just move. Uh, before we get to some of the harder problems like semantic interoperability and, and things such as that, you just got to get the information to move and move at scale uh, and be able to do that. We've seen success, I think, enough with, like, Care Quality Commonwealth that it's obvious that those types of models work, and now we do that at a national level, uh, really important. So we've we've gotten to the fundamental problem. Uh, we call ourselves the power grid. That's what it is. We're just keeping the, the electricity or the data flowing uh, and, and solve that at scale for the nation.
1: Excellent. Fantastic. So, you know, what do you feel that hospitals should be doing right now as they plan to participate in TEFCA? some best practices are you here there
3: well hopefully hopefully they don't have to think about the technology part of it because right. that's where the industry's gone wrong every time I always say interoperability has been the worst marketing campaign for the last 10 years um, because we're so focused to the acronyms and as a provider whether it's a large health system or a small provider they shouldn't have to be focused to the to the technology part of it. So hopefully their EHR vendor is taking care of that. We know, for instance, Epic's becoming a QHIN, and it just becomes a natural outcome of the technology that they've invested in. Where I believe their responsibility sits as a health system uh, in particular is the influence that they carry to the rest of the community, is spend that time working with community members. So whether it's the post-acute industry or EMS or whoever it may be, uh making sure that their community partners and those that they're collaborating for care coordination with are also looking towards a qhin because those are often been the markets that haven't and thus we've continued to fail um so i think they have a responsibility there as the influencer in the market to to push their communities forward to become a qhin uh, and the second piece is also to educate themselves it's a paradigm shift right so if we look at how interoperability has been done in the past. It's all been point to point, expensive interfaces. I think I had heard you just yes. ask somebody about lab interfaces. I mean, yes. everything's been this education around HL7v2 and, and what that does, and there's certainly going to be a continued need for that in, in a narrower focus. But it's really about educating yourself on this paradigm shift to broad connectivity. And what can you do with the tools that you have? It's, it's amazing. I'll sit with health systems, and they don't understand their tools that you're just sitting on within, you know, within their EHR. And what they could do to solve real problems, uh, do more with less, they're all forced with very you know tight budgets, is that you've got the tools you're sitting on to let the data start flowing and drive efficiency. So I think that's their responsibility, less about the, the actual implementation of the technology, but how to utilize it and, and see it at scope.
1: I love it. Yeah, you brought up um, Care Quality and um, Commonwealth, and I'm a co-founder of both those organizations. So I'm well, glad hey. that you brought them up and, and love it. And I, I mean, I believe everybody should be You're engaging. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, um, I guess, what's a if you have to give like one piece of advice to a health system about to engage this process? You said, you know, hopefully it's not the technology piece. Where would you where would they start where do they go to learn more to basically be prepped for some of this like is there a specific website area that point where you would point them to where would you say here here's where you need to go
3: well I, I'd start with their EHR vendor because Perfect. it's all about for me QHIN is just the back end right it's it. the edge that is actually performing the interoperability so educate yourself on what tools you have within your EHR um, that's where we see the biggest downfall right now is work with your EHR vendor get to know your technology stack that you have um, and then if you want to, you know, move past that is understanding the, the capabilities within QHIN is go out to the TEFCA website. I actually don't know it off the top of my head, I should. <laughs> but go out to the TEFCA website, understand what protocols are behind it if you want to go that deep. But start with what you can do within your work, own workflows, and then understand the community around you and how to, how to see both sides of that workflow come to life. It's uh,
1: excellent. I believe you can go to healthit.gov, and they'll tell you all about it. Thank that, you very you much, Jess. Go. You got it. My did you
3: start friend. that one, too?
1: Yeah, no, I did not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Teresa, thank you so much, Teresa Bell, for joining us today. Have a great rest of your conference. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. And that is a wrap. What a great show. What a great time. Thank you so much uh, to Chime for inviting us to the theater, my producers, Roberta, Greg Masters, Carol Flagg. You guys have been phenomenal, in bring this all together. I'll be honest with you, all the kudos goes to them, because I didn't do a whole heck of a lot, but sit here and talk um so you guys did a great job thank you so much we'll do it again